Hello there and welcome to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about football in North Africa, as African champions Esperance of Tunisia are representing the continent in the FIFA Club World Cup. And we hear from Morocco about the country winning the CAF Confederation Cup with Raja Casablanca. It's also uh, because of the rivalry with, with that Casablanca, the winner of the CAF Champions League last year. Plus, what does the future hold for Yaya Toure? And a look at all the excitement in the UEFA Champions League and the English Premier League. But let's start with an update on the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations, uh, with the Confederation of African Football stripping Cameroon of the hosting rights two weeks ago. And uh, by the way, we've got some very strong social media comments on that uh, later on on the programme. Um, it was expected that South Africa and Morocco would be the two main contenders to come in as potential hosts of the tournament, which has an expanded 24 teams for the first time. Well, on Wednesday, Morocco said that they are not interested in hosting. Uh, very surprising that, as all along we thought that Morocco were ready to step in willingly. Uh, South Africa had talks with government on Tuesday, trying to lobby government for support. But it now looks like Egypt are the leading contender, uh, because on Thursday the Egypt Football Association said that they are interested in bidding to host the Nations Cup next year, despite their previous comments. Uh, that's because last week the Egypt Football Association, the EFA, ruled itself out of stepping in to replace Cameroon as hosts saying that they didn't want to compete with another Arabic nation in Morocco. But on Thursday, there was a meeting between the EFA president, Hani Abu Rida, and the Confederation of African Football President, Ahmad. And the EFA say they're preparing a file to send to CAF and waiting for formal approval from the government. Now, it could well have been the case that perhaps no country was going to file a formal bid before the Friday midnight deadline. This would have been very, very embarrassing for CAF, having taken away the tournament from Cameroon and to have come up with no replacement host. So that could have been the reason for Ahmed's visit to Cairo to persuade Egypt to step in. So we'll be following this here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And we do focus now on North African football. I'm joined by Jalal Bonoa. He's a sports journalist based in Casablanca in Morocco. We'll talk about the FIFA Club World Cup shortly. But uh, first of all, Jalal, welcome to Planet Sport Football Africa. First time on the show. And uh, let's uh, talk club football in North Africa. Uh, well done to you there in Morocco as Raja Casablanca won the CAF Confederation Cup in a close final with AS Vita of DR Congo. Uh, tell us about it. There was a massive crowd there in Casablanca for the first leg. There was a great celebration here in Casablanca. Raja fans have been waiting uh, for more than 14 years uh, the team to win another uh, African title. It's also uh, because of the rivalry with, with that Casablanca, the winner of the CAF Champions League last year. So uh, it was a historical moment for uh, Raja to win another African title after the last one in 2004. About 45,000 spectators attended the first league final. 
they were singing, supporting, motivating the players to score the three goals that helped Raja win the title despite the defeat uh, in Congo. So uh, it was uh, amazing here in Casablanca and not only in Casablanca but also in other Moroccan cities and also Moroccans who live abroad. So they celebrated, I mean Raja fans who live abroad, uh, they celebrated this victory and they celebrated the fact that Raja is back to the African uh, football uh, winning another African title. Now, the CAF Champions League final was an all-North African affair with uh, Esperance of Tunisia turning things around against al Ahly of Egypt, losing the first leg 3-1 but taking the second leg 3-0. Now, al Ahly fired their French coach Patrice Carteron after the defeat. Uh, Carteron, who's a former coach of TP Mazembe and of the Mali national team, took over when eight-time champions al Ahly were struggling in the group stage and he turned their fortunes around. So was that a wise decision to fire him? You know, being the coach of Al-Ahli means you have to expect that the fans of this big African club cannot forgive you if you lose a final. Al-Ahli also lost last year's final against Widad Casablanca. So it was very hard for the fans to accept losing another title. Uh, So I may say that it was not a wise decision to fire coach Patrice, but El Ahli plays for titles and it's hard for the fans to lose, uh, although coach Patrice uh, helped the team when they were struggling in during the group uh, stage. Yes, but always there are high expectations, as you say, with Al Ahli. And now that was a third Champions League title for Esperance. They'll be representing Africa at the FIFA Club World Cup. They come in at the second round stage and play Al Ain of the United Arab Emirates on Saturday. What are your expectations there, Jalal? They know that the challenge is to repeat what Tipi Mazimbi did in 2010 and Raja Casablanca in 2013 when they reach the final. I think that they have nothing to lose. They have to play beautiful football and stay motivated. They may make noise. I think they will win the first match against Alain, the winners of the playoff match against Wellington, thanks to penalties. Generally, North African teams are always favorites against teams coming from the Middle East. If qualified, these parents will play a historical match against the Copa Libertadores champions River Plate. Yes, and that would be quite a game. And uh, just finally, take us back to 2013. As you said, Africa has twice finished runners-up at the FIFA Club World Cup, TP Mazembe getting to the final in 2010 and Rajat Casablanca in 2013 when Morocco was hosting. We all remember the great achievement of Raja Casablanca during the 2013 FIFA Club World Cup organized in Morocco after eliminating Oakland City in the playoff and the Mexicans, Manteri in the quarterfinal and uh, sending Atletico Mineiro back home in the semi-final by scoring three goals and reaching the final to play Bayern München. Uh, Moroccan fans celebrated the victory against Monero. Thousands of fans spent sleepless nights in Marrakesh waiting for the final match. Despite defeat, the fans were happy and proud of this team. 
Raja supporters in Paris, Brussels, New York and other cities worldwide, they took the street to celebrate the victory against Monero. After the final, uh, Raja fans made a song that till now they still sing it uh, during all matches remembering the glorious World Cup uh, participation. Well, what a run that was from Raja Casablanca in 2013. We'll see how Esperance do this time for Africa at the FIFA Club World Cup. Many thanks to Jalal Bonoa, a sports journalist based in Casablanca in Morocco. And in other news, Solomon, former Manchester City midfielder Yaya Toure has left Olympiakos just three months after rejoining the Greek club. Uh, the 35-year-old's contract has been terminated by mutual agreement. Uh, Toure, of course, is a former Ivory Coast captain, was a free agent at the end of last season and chose to join Olympiakos in September but made just two starts and two substitute appearances. He says he wants to move back to England now and to try to join a Premier League club. Uh, but to Solomon, is Toure nearing the end of the road now, maybe? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Yaya Toure is nearing the end of his career. He's 35 years of age. He has uh, 101 caps for Ivory Coast, 19 goals before he uh, retired from playing for the Elephants of Cote d'Ivoire, been to World Cups, uh, was named African Player of the Year, you know, several times, uh, you know, played at the top and won the uh, Champions League, you know, and I feel definitely he has paid his dues and I feel his legs are beginning to not be able to carry him anymore. He's not been able to provide that explosive bust, uh, you know, that we used to see. And also he's not been able to use his, his body and, and his strength the way that we used to see him. And he has had a very great, great career. No one thought, you know, he was going to be able to achieve that. A lot of people thought his brother Kolotori was the better player. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we saw how he is also an equally good player. Uh, the, the teams that he played for, from Barcelona to Manchester City to Monaco to Olympia, of course, I think he has paid his dues. And he's one of the, the legends of African football that we would look back and, and really get a lot of inspiration that we can talk about for so many years. And also, uh, you know, uh, young players will look up to. But, but I do hope that, you know, at 35, maybe he could still play for two years. Maybe he might go to one of the Middle Eastern teams or maybe China wouldn't be but you know uh, to be able to to retire to get one last final paycheck and, and and retire and hopefully he can also invest in football in the very near future well thanks Solomon we'll see perhaps though those destinations sound more realistic than the English Premier League but uh, Yaya Toure is a winner so anything is possible with him Asking for your views on this on social media this week. Is it the end of the road for Yaya Toure? Uh, can he make it back into the English Premier League? Or, as Solomon says, might he more likely go somewhere like China? Or is it time for him to hang up his boots? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two. 232780. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. 
You can also listen to the show on our new look website, planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there. That's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast, plus interviews with various sports stars, including Collins Fai of Cameroon and Brazil's Kaká. That's on our new look website, planetsport.tv. And now we turn to social media. Last week we had a report from Cameroon following CAF's decision to take away the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations from Cameroon with just six months to go. The decision came despite recent assurances that Cameroon would not lose the hosting rights, but CAF announced that Cameroon were behind with preparations. So we asked, was this a fair decision? And perhaps unsurprisingly, we've received some strong opinions on both sides of the debate. On Facebook first, Daniel Buckman in Ghana says, Absolutely, it's the right decision. They have no excuse to be behind time. Two years ago it was declared, and if they couldn't make the necessary preparations in two years, then they won't complete it now in just six months, says Daniel. Well, yes, although in Cameroon's defence, Daniel, the 2019 Nations Cup was originally intended to include just 16 teams, but after awarding the Nations Cup to Cameroon, CAF increased it to 24, requiring more stadiums and infrastructure. Lamine Cham in the Gambia says, I'm fully behind CAF's decision. Even if the lack of preparation is not the main reason, there's still no resolution to the Anglo-French rift between the two sides of the country. Until then, Cameroon should not host the continent's greatest football competition, says Lamine. And Moses Al-Hakim, also in the Gambia, agrees. There's some unrest there, and I'm not sure if it's safe, says Moses. I'm just wondering now which nation will host it, but don't let CAF give it to South Africa, says Moses. No matter how well they build stadiums, they must let others have a chance. On to what's up now and differing views from two Cameroonians. Gemo in the United States says, As a Cameroonian, I'm extremely disappointed with this decision. Hopefully we can learn from this, prepare better and put everything in order in the very near future. I was hoping this tournament would bring some peace and reunite the country. But Fabrice, who lives in Bamenda in the north of Cameroon, has a very different view. Yes, it was a very fair decision. Cameroon is not prepared to host, and even by 2021, we won't be prepared. We don't only have infrastructure problems, we have social unrest in the two English-speaking regions, says Fabrice. Walking on the roads in these two regions is not safe. You can be shot at any time, and many persons are killed daily, says Fabrice. Let's get reaction from other parts of the continent and Ishmael Saidu Kanu in Sierra Leone says, Yes, it was the right decision. The conflict in the country is a major concern and people cannot risk going there in June. To Nigeria and Obina says, I think the decision was made for the good of the game. So yes, it was a fair decision. At the current pace, Cameroon would never have met the deadlines of the tournament. But Mkondo Harawa in Malawi disagrees. No, not at all. This is not fair, says Mkondo. The preparations Cameroon have done already have cost a lot, and it's now turned into a loss. To take away the 2019 AFCON from Cameroon was not the solution, because any country they shift it to will need to prepare, which will mean more costs. 
Karamba Dabo in The Gambia agrees with Mkondo. This is a poor decision from CAF, says Karamba. Cameroon have been preparing for almost one and a half years to welcome people from different nations to come and witness the Africa Cup of Nations. So if CAF has to switch to another place, I don't think this is a good idea in my point of view. However, in Uganda, Asiku Lawrence can see both sides of the argument. In my opinion, it was both fair and unfair, says Asiku. It was fair because Cameroon as a nation failed to fix their own security issues. But it was also unfair because of the short notice. Cameroon had already started preparations like the construction of stadiums. I think their supporters were almost ready, only to be let down, says Asiku. Olotunde Adeleke in the Gambia says, yes, it was a fair decision if Cameroon were behind with preparations. To me, there's nothing wrong in taking it away from them, but it should have been given to Morocco just to prepare them or to test their capacity or ability to co-host the World Cup with Spain. And the final word to a Cameroonian, Esunge says it was fair for CAF to snatch the hosting rights from Cameroon. We have so much to grapple with in the country, which is one of the reasons why our authorities didn't give the hosting issue the top priority. However, it's the Cameroonian out there who feels the real effect because it would have been a wonderful moment for all Cameroonians to host the tournament and to show their love for the game. Thanks so much for all of those opinions. Many of them were strong ones, and apologies if we didn't have time to include yours. Well, to European football now, and Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Uh, Lots to talk about, uh, UEFA Champions League and uh, English Premier League. Uh, Let's start with the Premier League. Uh, Chelsea beat Man City last week as Liverpool went to the top of the table. Uh, Can we read much into that defeat for Man City, Stuart? Yes, indeed, Steve, and... To be honest, I wonder if last weekend we witnessed the most significant game of the season. Of course, it's too early uh, to talk about title deciders or anything like that. But Manchester City went into the game at Chelsea unbeaten and looking invincible, overwhelming favourites to retain their Premier League title. In the event, they were well beaten by Chelsea. And you could almost say that the master tactician, Pep Guardiola, was somehow outthought by the Chelsea coach, Mauricio Sarri. The City game is normally based on passing, and last Saturday, Chelsea omitted Alvaro Morata and Olivier Giroud, playing without a main striker, but with Aidan Hazard in what we call the false number nine position. And Chelsea pressed Manchester City, occupied the space in midfield through which City normally pass other teams to death. And while City had more of the ball, they just didn't create the chances. And with Chelsea scoring a goal in each half, they won comfortably 2-0. But the big question for me is whether other clubs will learn from this how to beat Manchester City. I also wonder if the fact that Liverpool had kicked off at midday and beaten Bournemouth 4-0 to go top of the table before City kicked off. I mean, did that add pressure to Manchester City? Who knows? But the outcome is that Liverpool are now top of the Premier League. And incidentally, Mo Salah scored three goals for Liverpool in that game. And that makes him the first African to score three goals in a Premier League game since Riyad Mahrez did it for Leicester against Swansea three years ago. And Leicester went on to win the league that year. Is that an omen, you might ask? Sadly, the Chelsea-Manchester City game was marred 
by Raheem Sterling allegedly being racially abused by up to four spectators. Now, Chelsea acted quickly, identified the spectators and banned them from future games. And the police are investigating whether an offence has been committed. Um, I just want to mention, too, that the Chelsea first goal was scored by N'Golo Kante, their French Malian midfield player, which was interesting because last week the Chelsea manager Mauricio Sarri said that Kante is not technically good enough to play in centre midfield. And with that coming, a month after Chelsea offered Kante a new contract worth allegedly $350,000 a week, Steve, could you just imagine how much Kante would be worth if he was a better player? So anyway, Liverpool go into this weekend's fixtures top of the league and on Sunday they entertain Manchester United. What a game in which to prove that they're worthy league leaders. And of course, there's always great rivalry between those two clubs. And interestingly, Jose Mourinho had a good record at Liverpool, allegedly sometimes um, parking the bus I really can't wait for that game. It'll be fascinating to see how it goes. And talking about Manchester United, Romelu Lukaku has scored in his last two league games after an indifferent start to the season. And this week, he revealed the secret. At the World Cup, he said he spent too much time in the gym, put on muscle, put on weight, and lost speed as a result. But now he's putting things right. And just a final word on the Premier League. With Fulham, Huddersfield, and Southampton all losing last weekend, despite Southampton having a new manager. Those three stay in the three bottom places in the league. Mm, so they'll all be trying to pick up points over the next few weeks. Uh, well, Stuart, another thrilling week in the UEFA Champions League as the group stage ended and all four English clubs made it to the round of 16. Yeah, that's absolutely remarkable because it's four of 16 teams in the knockout stage from the Premier League. And just to put that in context, there's three from Germany, three from Spain, two from France, two from Italy, one from Netherlands, one from Portugal. So it really is a magnificent achievement for the Premier League to have four teams in the last 16. And frankly, it's not something that you would have predicted a month ago because Manchester City lost their first game at home to Lyon. Tottenham lost their first two games and drew the third, which seemed a disastrous start from which they couldn't recover. Liverpool lost all three away games and Manchester United took only four points from their first three games. But things improved with City accumulating points and Manchester United having a magnificent win uh, away to Juventus in Italy. And so the Manchester clubs had already qualified before this week. But this week we saw Liverpool beating Napoli 1-0 And surprise, surprise, Mo Salah scored again. And Tottenham got a draw with Barcelona in the Camp Nou. It couldn't get much closer than that, really. Incidentally, with Barcelona having already qualified, they rested a few of their star players. Steve, I wonder if this is the strongest bench ever in the history of football. Because the Barcelona subs included Lionel Messi, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba and Gerard Piquet. That meant that the seven subs between them had 500 international caps and had won 42 league titles between them. Oh, well, that uh, is a bench and a half. And what else has grabbed your attention, Stuart? Well, congratulations to James Milner of Liverpool, who played his 500th Premier League game just before Christmas. Milner played his first Premier League game in 
November 2002, when he was just 16, and that was for Leeds United. He went on to play for Newcastle United, Aston Villa, Manchester City, and for the last four seasons for Liverpool. Now, Milner will never be one of the stars of world football, but what a reliable player he's proved to be. And interestingly, in the decisive Champions League game against Napoli, Milner started in midfield, while big money signings Fabinho and Naby Cater sat on the bench. Milner played for England 60 times, and he's seventh on the all-time goals created in the Premier League with 80 assists. And one fascinating statistic we've already mentioned on the programme is that he scored 50 Premier League goals for all his clubs and has never lost a game in which he scored. Incidentally, Steve, Milner is the 13th player to play 500 Premier League games. Top of the list is Gareth Barry with 653, then Ryan Giggs, 632, and Frank Lampard is the only other one to have reached 600. I just wonder, Steve, if you could name the other nine who made 500 appearances without the help of Mr. Google. Um, Well, if I was guessing, I would have said John Terry, Roy Keane, Peter Schmeichel. But uh, sorry, I can't resist uh, having a look uh, on uh, Google. And um, the other ones are David James, Gary Speed, Emil Heskey, Mark Schwarzer, Jamie Carragher, Phil Neville, Stephen Gerrard, Rio Ferdinand and Sol Campbell with James Milner having joined them as the 13th player with 500 or more appearances in the English Premier League. Interesting stuff. Thanks very much, Stuart. Well, now, as we're reaching the end of the year, we're going to give you a chance to hear some of the interviews that we featured here on Planet Sport Football Africa during the course of 2018. Uh, Simba Nivi is a striker who's made 10 appearances for the Zimbabwe national team but has had an up-and-down career. Uh, Nivi went to South Africa to big club Mamelodi Sundowns as a 19-year-old but injury problems meant that he never played for them. He came back to Zimbabwe and won league titles with Dynamos and with Caps but a move last year to Tanzania didn't work out due to contractual complications and he's now back here in Zimbabwe. Nivi is a follower of Jesus Christ and goes to the Zion Christian Church. He's working with the church to share his faith and this year held a football tournament attended by many young people. And my colleague Langton Nyakwenda spoke to Nivi to find out more. Obedience is the highest degree of worship. And when you have obedience, that means everything that you do in life, you respect it and you listen. So what I'm saying is, when you have God and you accept God, there are things that follow us that we don't even... You know, with the people that we associate ourselves with. Now, when you're in the church, we are surrounded by people, people that don't do drugs, people that don't do other uh, negative things, people that have got positive ideas, people that build you. So we want, we, we are aging footballers, uh, celebrities, to surround themselves with such people who know God. Because uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And that's what we want to encourage into the, into, into the celebrities. And when these celebrities, they're well known all over. These guys that are coming up, they look up to the celebrities, they look up to the big players. And if we are examples, look, it has helped me and I've seen a, a, a lot of potential in myself and from where I came, I've seen results by what I did in accepting Jesus as my personal saviour. How important was God in your, in your soccer career, given that you once had an injury, you had problems with Super Sports South Africa? God never said we, we, we will not have problems. All problems, they come to strengthen us or to teach us. 
And when I had injuries, I looked up to God and said, God, no, everything is under your plan, under your control. When I look at my career, my career has been very successful, to be honest to you. I have won four league titles. I have won a lot of medals. So when I look at my career and where I was brought up from by God, then I see positive things and I can speak good things about my career and my football career than what other people see outside there. So to other youngsters who are, who are coming up, what can you tell them about the importance of uh, maybe worshipping God and also playing soccer? How can you combine the two? Look, uh, these youngsters have to learn one thing. Uh, they have to be disciplined. When you are disciplined, you are able to, to, to go far as a footballer. When I grew up, I saw the importance of staying around people who go to church and the effect that it has in, in our lives as, as footballers. So I, I think it helps a lot. So can we see you, Simba Nivi, maybe going an extra mile, maybe moving out of your church and spreading your wings and I mean, harnessing all the youngsters who might not necessarily be worshipping at uh, Zion? That's what we are, we, are, we are doing as a Zion Christian Church. We want to bring all those youngsters that are outside there to come in the church because Jesus never came for those who are in the correct way. He came for those that are outside the way. So what we are doing is we want to fish all the talent that is outside there that is lacking sponsorship and we want to bring them in the church. Oh, God is all about love and helping people. Poor people, people who have got potential but don't, don't have the, the necessary equipment to, to, to go where they want to be. We are telling them that no, this talent is an investment that was made by God into us. So God expects some returns. And then we expect these guys, when they play and they go there, they never go wrong in terms of the, the things that we see and we notice. That when they see me from the way that I grew up and up to now, I can, I, I can see and feel these guys can, can actually go far with their talents. That's former Zimbabwe national team striker Simba Nivi, very committed to his faith in Jesus. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Salama Shams in South Africa and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.